Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 9 of Primm's Playlist Season 3. My name is Prim, and just like last time, I'll be analyzing 5 underrated Korean songs and recommending them based on your taste in K-pop. If there's one season K-pop gets right, it's summer. When the weather gets hot, idols pull out their brightest colors, beachiest sets, and most party-ready beats to celebrate the freedom and vacation time the season brings to younger listeners. This summer, we've heard some incredible hits from popular artists such as Alcohol Free by Twice, Permission to Dance by BTS, and Chima Baram by Brave Girls, and we've even seen a Summer Fiends debut with Vanilla by Lightsome. But what about summery tracks by lesser-known artists? If you haven't guessed already, today's theme is summery songs, perfect for the beach, road trips, and chasing away summer rainstorms. Expect to hear a lot of bright, happy tunes and a fair bit of Tropical House. It's a genre staple of summer K-pop. Let's pull up the playlist! Our first song today is So What by Soa, currently at 320 views on All Art Entertainment and 870 views on Music and New. According to the description of the All Art Entertainment upload, put through Google Translate to take this with a grain of salt, this song is being marketed as Tropical Trump. I think that this is a great description of this song, as it combines the staples of contemporary trot with aspects of tropical house-based summer K-pop, in a perfectly balanced ratio. It's got the pulsating backing rhythm, added extra measures, and chorus-like vocal harmonies of contemporary trot, as well as the tropical lead synths, deep bass horn stings, and harsh rap breaks one would expect from a non-trot summer comeback. I'm a huge fan of this blending of genres. It makes this song a super fresh and unique take on a genre that, well, while I love it to pieces, I've been having a harder and harder time coming up with clever recommendations for. Thankfully, So What fits perfectly with a couple mainstream summary songs. The particular steel drum-like lead synth reminds me a lot of the one used in Non-Stop by Oh My Girl, especially when considering the song's similar tempos. The combination of strictly summary instrumentals with those deeper bass elements, something which really stood out to me about So What, can be heard in Fever by G-Friend and Love You by Chung Ha. Plus, the vocal dynamic between Soa's group members, Moa and Sophia, reminds me a lot of the two-member girl group Kimbo, especially in their more upbeat songs like Scandalous and 99. So, if you like Nonstop, Fever, and Love You, or if you're a Kimbo stan, I think you'll really like So What. How about song number two? Next up, we've got Tonight by Gold, garnering a thousand views on Ogam Entertainment. Instead of going for a tropical house feel, Tonight gets its summary vibes from a radio-ready, road-trip-worthy guitar line, which loops through nearly the entire song. Throughout the first verse, this guitar line is punctuated by a steady kick, sharp snares, and strangely enough, a super grungy bass synth. That sort of electronic aspect of this song is built upon the choruses, which push the guitar loop to the background and add a chopped up, white noisy synth pad. One thing that really startled me when I first listened to this song was the build up to the second chorus, which serves almost as a mini dance break. It pushes the electronic aspect of this song even farther by taking out the guitar, adding dubstep-like choppiness and deep bass stings, and moving to a halftime tempo. All in all, it's definitely an interesting and catchy mix of radio-esque summer vibes and harsher synth elements. Honestly, if I had to describe tonight, it would be like if someone mashed up Teenage Dream by Katy Perry and Red Light or Electric Shot by F of X. Teenage Dream came to mind immediately upon hearing the guitar, and FFX came to me as soon as that deep bass started. Also, the sudden shift in tone reminded me a bit of Deja Vu by Twice, which also has a harsher dubstep-inspired section in the middle of an otherwise fairly happy-go-lucky song. So if you love the summer guitar vibes of Teenage Dream, the grungy basses of FFX, or the tone shifts of Deja Vu, 
Go check out tonight. Song three, please. Song number three today is Kiss Mark by Nob9 featuring Cree de Joie and Moti, with around 650 views on Music India. This song is a bit of a darker and less happy-go-lucky take on Tropical House, combining mid-to-high-toned tropical synths with deeper-toned backing instrumentals and trap elements. This is especially evident in the intro and verse of the song, as the lower number of higher instrumental layers lets the darker-toned layers really stand out, though the trap inspirations come through more in the more thickly-layered sections with more percussion. One trap element which comes through the whole song, though, is the heavy auto-tune, which is used artistically as a staple of the genre, and I swear to god if I keep seeing people saying auto-tune automatically means someone can't sing without considering its use as a stylistic element, I will hide milk under their bed and let it rot. Rant aside, this song is a great take on Tropical House, which stands out from much of its mainstream usage by implementing a bit of a darker tone. Darker, slightly more melancholy tropical house like that in Kissmark can be found in songs like Going Crazy by Treasure and Wave by ATs. The former is definitely a bit of a better fit than the latter, which contains a surprising amount of both warm acoustic guitar and harsher EDM build-up percussion, but both fit, especially during each of their first verses. So if you like the first verse of both Going Crazy and Wave, you may enjoy Kissmark. How about song number four? At 6.2 kVs on Stomy's Get Entertainment, this is Island by So Actor and Debt. This is definitely the funkiest song of the playlist today, blending radio-ready summer guitar and drums with a retro-revival-esque rhythm, tempo, and descending orchestral samples. When I say radio-ready, I really do mean it. The song is mentally catapulting me back to van rides to summer camp field trip destinations when I was a preteen, when we listened to our local pop radio station on the way to wherever we were going. That being said, while this is the most nostalgic song for me today, there's actually not that much I can say production-wise that I haven't already said. Honestly, I think the specific nostalgic vibe it's giving off is keeping my brain from actually analyzing it because it's just going like, oh, it's like those songs I used to listen to in the summer camp field trip van. Boom, analysis done. Thankfully, that speed bump definitely does not apply to connecting Island to other songs. In fact, it actually kind of helped. Between the retro inspirations and radio energy, Island is super reminiscent of BTS's recent comeback, Permission to Dance, especially considering that both songs use all English lyrics. However, in terms of lyrical poeticism, I guess, and melodic composition, it actually reminds me of some older Korean language BTS pieces like Save Me and Boy With Love. While their instrumentals and performance are widely beloved, BTS has actually been getting some criticism recently for the difference in lyricism between their Korean language and English language pieces, as the former tends to have very poetic and emotional lyrics while the latter is more straightforward and party-oriented, to a point where some have even compared it to kids' bop, which, like, ouch. We don't have time to get into the possible reasons for these lyricism differences, especially since a lot of it gets into speculation, so I'm just gonna say this. If you're looking for something like a current English language BTS song but with lyrics more similar to their Korean language songs, but still in English, Island is exactly what you're looking for. What's your song 5? Our fifth song today is Good Vibes Only by Girlkind, garnering 33k views on Super Sound Bugs and 163k views on Girlkind's official YouTube channel. Definitely more than we usually cover on this podcast, but from what I can tell, this is one of their fastest growing songs, and they're still considered a Nugu group. Plus, the song is really good. We start out with almost future bass like synths as an intro before jumping straight into a more high energy segment with a funky lead synth, rolling hi hats, and a cute sung all together chorus straight out of older generations of girl group K pop. 
The verses are much more subdued, putting most of the instrumental focus on its plucked melodic bass line, before shifting focus upwards tonally into both staticky synths and higher percussion. There is no pre-chorus, instead the song drops straight into the chorus. It's actually kind of a fake-out chorus, as the first line makes you think that it'll be repeating the lines from the intro, but then it completely changes melodies and line distribution, being sung one at a time rather than all at once. This helps keep the song from feeling too repetitive, a necessity when omitting the pre-chorus, which often serves as a buffer space to keep similar parts of a song from being too close to one another. This is definitely Girlkind's best produced song so far. It has a summery and upbeat feeling which works perfectly with their high cute voices, but also has enough unique synthy elements to both tie it in with their previously futuristic discography and make it stand out from the crowd. The producer 2Champ, known for co-producing Roland by Brave Girls, co-produced Good Vibes Only as well, so it's no surprise that the two songs have similar summary sounds, or that Good Vibes Only is picking up traction so quickly considering the sudden viral popularity of Roland this year. If anything though, Good Vibes Only actually reminds me more of Brave Girls' more recent releases Chima Baram and Pool Party, which considering that they were released in response to the viral popularity of Roland, also makes a lot of sense. Just to throw in a wild card though, the synths in the beginning of Good Vibes Only remind me a bit of the ones in Bloom Bloom by The Boys, which also combines those synths with a general summary sound. So if you've been hyped for Brave Girls' skyrocketing popularity and or Bloom Bloom is a summer staple for you, you'll love Good Vibes Only. Last but not least, let's hear our Sore Thumb song. Our Sore Thumb song today is Haze 2 by Gong, currently at 5,000 views on Stone Music Entertainment. A far cry from the upbeat summary vibes of today's playlist, this song starts off with a low, detuned, and almost cold-sounding synth playing a simple melody over slow, distorted pulses. Hired chimes, distant electric guitar, and muffled, hyper-autotuned vocals join in for the latter half of this intro. Then the rap starts, providing the bulk of the rhythm in this section as the backing instrumental has little to no percussion. The chorus kicks in, adding a strumming acoustic guitar in the background, as well as a super overdriven and echoey electric guitar, as well as switching from rap to a sung portion using a harsh and strained vocal tamper, still with no percussion. In fact, percussion doesn't kick in until the second verse, and even then it's super lo-fi, being super muffled and compressed to heck. Though unexpected, I actually think this is a good fit for this song, as the lo-fi nature of the percussion adds grit that complements the vocals and electric guitar, while also drawing from a style that complements the detuned synths. All in all, this song is a simultaneously low-key and intense roller coaster ride, which combines rap, rock, and lo-fi into an unexpectedly harmonious style. His 2's combination of genres is actually somewhat similar to Intro Boy Meets Evil by BTS, though His 2 definitely builds up much more slowly and stays more subdued. Boy Meets Evil literally starts off with super distorted guitar chords, a plucked electric guitar melody, and muffled percussion, and the bulk of the vocal performance is rapped. It's the same combination of genres and same dark tone. So if you like Intro Boy Meets Evil but want something with a slower burn, I highly recommend Haze 2. Now that we've heard the whole playlist, let's interview today's guest star. In case it wasn't obvious enough already, I'll say it out loud. I hate seeing great musicians not get the recognition they deserve. Finding these musicians and promoting their work to a larger audience is the backbone of this podcast in both concept and content. And whenever someone tells me they got into an artist because of this podcast, my heart grows in size and my powers grow stronger. 
I'm happy to say that I'm not the only one on a mission to promote these artists. This episode, I got in touch with Nugu Promoter, a team of people dedicated to promoting underrated K-pop girl groups and female soloists by providing a constant stream of artist updates on social media. Now, full disclosure, Nugu Promoter and I mutually agreed to hold this interview over text due to the size and comfort level of the Nugu Promoter team. Since this is an audio podcast which requires audio for things, I decided to have a bit of fun with it, give it a bit of audio drama flair. Nuka Promoter's answers will be read verbatim by Twitch streamer and my literal actual dad. Introduce yourself, dad. Hi, I'm Jack. I'm Prim's dad. I uh, stream magic on Twitch at Infozar. That's I-N-F-O-X-C-Z-A-R. Come see some magic. We'll have fun. For my first question, I decided to start at the very beginning. Obviously, Nuga Promoter hasn't been around forever. Their Twitter, their most active social media account, was only created in May of 2020. So I asked them to tell me how it all began. How did Nuga Promoter get started? We all were friends prior to making the account. We realized most K-pop accounts didn't really update on our favorite underrated groups. So we thought it would be a great idea to make our own account where we gave those groups a platform, also a space for other fellow underrated girl group stands to be updated on their favorite groups. I then moved on to their operation itself. Nuka Promoter posts very frequently and extremely consistently and keeps track of more artists than I could ever dream of following myself. I knew for a fact they were a team of people. I confirmed this while scheduling the interview, but even before that, I assumed that had to be the case. But I wanted to know more details. How big is the Nuga Promoter team, and how do you all coordinate? We're currently seven people. We also are from different time zones, so it's easier for us to be posting stuff at any time. And that stuff you post, you post it on a variety of platforms, Twitter, Insta, etc. How do your promotion strategies change between the different social media platforms you use? Well, we're currently focusing mostly on the Twitter account and our Instagram account. We tried starting a TikTok account, but realized it was a little too hard for us to make content in there, so we're looking for people to help us with that at the moment. We also now have a YouTube channel, where we will be posting video interviews and more exclusive content in the future, and we also recently opened a Facebook page to repost our news and reach a bigger audience. How do you keep track of all that news, especially considering the growing number of new groups and soloists due to constant debuts? It was very hard for us at first, since we didn't really know how to get news fast, and I remember us posting stuff late most of the times. Now we're way more used to it, and we usually take information from Reddit and Neighbors Entertainment News. Our followers also help us a lot sending us stuff to post. Now that I knew the how, I wanted to move on to the why. Anything involving media promotion is going to bring up both technical and moral questions. You have to decide what to promote and what not to promote, and that line can get blurry, especially when that decision is contingent on fluid qualifications like popularity. When I asked these sorts of questions, it became clear that Nuga Promoter was well aware of these blurry lines and has struggled with them in the past. When I was looking for your social media channels, I noticed you focus on girl groups and female soloists. In fact, your Twitter bio specifically states you promote underrated K-pop girl groups. Why do you promote specifically female artists instead of taking a co-ed approach? If there was a Nugu co-ed group, would you promote them? Honestly, it's because we all are girl group stands and don't know much about boy groups, so we decided to only post about them. And there's an active co-ed group at the moment called Checkmate, which we actively promote, focusing on the female members, of course. 
Makes sense, makes sense. Moving on to your focus on underrated artists, there's a good mix of group popularity levels on your account, ranging from Secret Number and GWSN to ICU and High L. I also remember you running a poll on whether to promote ex-Wonder Girls member Yubin as a Nugu soloist or not. Where do you draw the line between a Nugu group and a non-Nugu group? This is a very hard question. It's very ambiguous to say, but we take into consideration a lot of factors such as sales, followers, chart positions, and more. In Secret Numbers' case, we hesitated a lot since some admins don't really think they were a Nugu group, but their fans explain that their popularity is mostly located in one country, Indonesia, and that they still need a bigger fan base anywhere else, especially in Korea. Talking about Yubin, her fans were requesting us to post about her, and at first we were very hesitant since most of us are also K-pop fans since the second generation era and know how much of an impact Wonder Girls had. So we came up with the idea of making a poll. Most people answered that we should post about her, but when we did, we received some backlash, understandably. So we ended up deleting. Many argue that there are too many new artists debuting too quickly, leading to an oversaturated K-pop industry in which few can succeed. As a group dedicated to promoting these smaller and often newer artists, do you agree with this argument? If so, how do you propose that we fight this oversaturation without taking opportunities away from Nugu artists? I think the statement is sadly true. There are too many groups debuting, and usually the ones from smaller or newer companies are the ones that struggle the most to get some type of recognition. However, I think this has been changing, and people are usually giving these artists a chance. For example, Brave Girls or La Boom. Also, I think the best way to fight oversaturation is giving those artists better promotion. Those underrated artists usually fall under the radar because their companies, usually small or new ones, struggle a lot to do it. There's also the fact that some companies just aren't ready to debut new groups. After these heavier questions, I wanted to end on a good note. I didn't want this interview to end with a downer of a moral slash technical question on K-pop industry oversaturation, especially since, while interesting, it isn't the main question either of our respective projects try to answer. So I decided to end with something lighter, which gave Nuka Promoter a chance to do what they do best. Promote some underrated girl groups. One last question to Lang Mavood. What are some of your favorite Nuka groups and soloists? The admins answering to your favorite groups question are Woo Ah, Bling Bling, Saturday, La Boom, Nature, Lunar Solar, Cherry Bullet, Favorite, Yuha, and many, many more. This list is already too long. I'm always open to discover new music from a lot of different artists, so there's a lot of groups and soloists I love. Huge thanks to the team at Nugu Promoter for agreeing to this interview. You can find them at Nugu Promoter, that's N-U-G-U-P-R-O-M-O-T-E-R, on Twitter and Instagram, as Nugu Promoter with a space between the words on Facebook, and once they get it up and going, at Nugu Promoters, with an S on the end, on TikTok. If you're always looking for more music and want to support smaller artists, I recommend giving them a follow. They've honestly been an invaluable resource to me on this podcast. There are multiple artists, especially in my Patreon-exclusive debut review segment, who I would have never found if it weren't for them. There's just one more thing to take care of before we end today's show. You know it, you'll love it. It's time to spin the Wheel of Segments. And this week's segment is... Demo Reel. It takes a long time to make a K-pop song. 
Along the way, early versions and demos are made, assessed, scrapped, and reworked to create the songs we know and love. On Demo Reel, we take a look at earlier versions of our favorite songs and the tales they tell of the song's production. Yeah, I'm reworking the segment from how I handled it in the past. I used to basically just compare the two songs, but it was hard to make that a whole segment. But sometimes I'd find stuff with serious changes made, like how Back and Forth by Zara Larson had a different key and song structure than More and More by Twice. Most of the time, the demo is super similar to the final song. So I'm actually going to take Demo Reel in a more investigative, journalism-adjacent direction. I'm going to dig less into the musical differences and more into what the demo indicates about the song's production. I can't think of a better choice for this change in focus than CLC's version of La Vie en Rose, which was later released for realsies by Iswan. This earlier version of La Vie en Rose, from what I can tell, has the exact same instrumental as the final song. All the changes are in the lyrics and vocals. Not much to say on the vocals, CLC's vocals are harsher than his ones, contrasting with the softer and more elegant instrumental. The lyrical changes are far more interesting. CLC's version of La Vie en Rose has almost the same lyrics as Is One's, but not quite. Certain changes from CLC's version to Is One's version, such as You Make Me Red to I'll Make It Red, Piana meaning flower to Neymame meaning my heart, and Tugum meaning gain or grown according to Google Translate to Banjagim meaning sparkling, imply CLC's version had more mature and maybe dirtier lyrics. This change definitely makes sense given the difference between the two groups' concepts. Some other differences I can pick out in CLC's version, like dress in the first line, point to the demo lyrics maybe referencing some of CLC's other songs, in this case Black Dress, which obviously would also have to change. Of course, I only know a couple words in Korean, and I'm not even close to understanding sentences, so this is all speculation. Speaking of speculation, let's talk about La Vie en Rose's transfer of ownership. Unlike most other demos, which are often made for the purpose of being a demo, CLC's version of the song was meant to be released as CLC's song. In fact, at a press conference in Seoul in 2019, Yeon of CLC even stated that group members were surprised that their track had gone to another artist. Many believe that Cube Entertainment gave the song to Is One at the last minute due to a lack of care for CLC. While it certainly isn't out of character for Cube to give CLC the short end of the stick, I find it unlikely that Cube would gain much from selling La Vie en Rose in the way this theory claims they did. Iswan appears to have had very little to do with Cube Entertainment. They were co-managed by Alpha Record Entertainment and Swing Entertainment, neither of which are associated with Cube Entertainment from what I can tell, and according to kprofiles.com, none of the Iswan members directly represented Cube in the group's multi-company training makeup. Why would Cube favor a group they barely have anything to do with over a group they themselves manage? Plus, G-Idol had debuted earlier that year to raging success. If Cube wanted to screw CLC over to make more money from Lavi and Rose, they wouldn't sell it to Iswan, they'd make G-Idol sing it. I found another theory which, in my opinion, makes a lot more sense. However, it's definitely not perfect. I'm taking it with a boulder of salt too, as it's from a Quora thread and I don't trust like that. According to this theory, the song wasn't sold by Cube Entertainment itself, but rather by the song's writers and producers, called Mosepick, after they left Cube during the song's production. I've confirmed that La Vie Rose was both written and arranged by the Mosepick music producing group, which was employed by Cube Entertainment at the time. The fact that it was both written and arranged by the same group probably would have made it easier, legally speaking, to sell the song after leaving Cube. 
plus Mosepick's supposed departure date of June 2018, lines up well with the releases of both Black Dress and Lavian Rose, being long enough after the former for the songs to be complete, and long enough before the latter to have room to re-record vocals and shoot a music video. However, I can't actually find anything on Mosepick leaving Cube, and in fact, there are Mosepick songs that have been released by Cube artists after Mosepick's supposed departure in June 2018 and they're still listed as Cube's in-house producers on Wikipedia. I still think this theory is more likely than Cube themselves selling the song, even just motivation-wise, but I don't think this theory is 100% true either. It's still a mystery. I mentioned a press conference earlier where Yeyan of CLC spoke of her groupmate's surprise when Lavia and Rose had changed hands. At that same press conference, she states that she thought the track was able to meet better owners. As I stated before, Iswan was going for a more innocent but still strong concept, which fits Lavi and Rose's production style perfectly, and their vocal timbres fit better too. This also was all going down as CLC was trying every concept under the sun, even to the point of inconsistency and unpredictability. Following Black Dress, an edgier track up with Lavi and Rose would have just added to this problem, and though it caused a delay between comebacks, I'm glad they came back with No instead. I think it really helps them find the sound that fit them best. Really, deep down, we all know that Lavia and Rose was made for Is One, even if it was technically made for CLC. And with that, we end episode 9 of Primam's Playlist Season 3. If you enjoyed this episode, check out the original songs at bit.ly slash pmp underscore s3e9, all letters capital, all numbers numerals. If you want to say hello, you can find me on Instagram at PRIMMS underscore playlist, Twitter at Playlist Prim, or the official Primms Playlist YouTube channel. Links to everything can be found at Linktree slash Prims Playlist. That's linktr.ee slash PRIMMSPLAYLIST. Primms Playlist is a proud member of BrainRoute Presents. For more information, visit brainroutepresents.wixsite.com slash landing. If you'd like to support our podcasts, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash underscore PRSNTS. Only $2 a month for Discord access and longer episodes, $5 a month for in-episode shoutouts and early episodes, plus bonuses for all our other podcasts. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, visit fundraiser.com slash underscore PRSNTS. That's F-U-N-D-R-A-Z-R dot com slash underscore PRSNTS. Shout out to our $5 plus tier Patreon supporters, Adrian Frisbee, Saffron, Emery Silvers, Jupiter McIntyre, Prozac Haven, Delenn Beauchamp, Connor Fox, Jan Aloney, Sean Locke, Crow, Olive Oldwolf, and Judo. You make this podcast possible. Thanks for jamming with me today.